Welcome to the Concerning Narcissism podcast. My name is Ginger Koi, and I will be reading my latest piece, which has just been published on my Substack, gingerkoi.substack.com. The Demise of Free Speech and the Implications for Society A Post-Enlightenment Perspective The Complexities of Realpolitik, Narcissism, and Technological Advancements in a Changing World It was this week that the president of the University of Pennsylvania, Liz McGill, resigned over her statement to Congress that campus protests calling for the genocide of Jews would not necessarily violate the university's code of conduct, equivocating with an, quote-unquote, it depends on the context. Meanwhile, strangely enough, Greg Lukianoff, a champion for free speech on equally sympathetic Bill Maher's show, Real Time with Bill Maher, on December 8th, managed to share a sentiment that sounded roughly analogous or in tandem with the maligned ex-president. Lukianoff said of her statement, quote-unquote, merely expressive, offensive expression, like saying intifada, that is absolutely protected. But can seeing things like that be part of a pattern of threats or harassment? Of course it can be. And it was kind of embarrassing to watch these university presidents of the top institutions in the country not being able to answer that clearly. Close quote. It appears that the demarcation line in the sand between protected speech parenthetical intifada, and hate speech, parenthetical genocide, is as clear as mud. This kind of ambiguity around free speech lends itself to social unrest, legal and otherwise. Therein lies the rub, that free speech is not straightforward as far as when it crosses the line into hate speech and violence, whether speech acts or the old-fashioned physical kind. Free speech as a concept and right can be weaponized as a double standard, convenient when defending your speech, but not the other. Rules for thee, but not for me. Author and anti-DEI conservative activist Christopher Rufo does not support Lukianoff's organization, FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, which champions free speech. Rufo gives voice to his disdain for this organization in an interview with Lukianoff's friend, American philosopher and author Peter Bogosian. Open quote. If you look at FIRE, an organization that I do not like, I think they are actually a net negative force in American society, but suspending my judgment there. Close quote. Flying in the face of the prevailing notion that it is exclusively the left that peddles in cancel culture, Lukianoff and co-author Ricky Schlott of The Canceling of the American Mind Cancel culture undermines trust, destroys institutions, and threatens us all. But there is a solution, outlined in Chapter 8, that conservatives are increasingly abandoning an adherence to the principle of free speech in pursuit of their conservative agenda. Both the left and right are increasingly jettisoning free speech in favor of pursuing more illiberal and narcissistic aims. The student bases at elite colleges are entitled, and therefore narcissistic. With their narcissism comes illiberalism and authoritarianism, inconducive to the quote-unquote adulting requisite for free speech. Faith in political goodwill and good faith argument is atrophying in an increasingly narcissistic culture. These self-focused societal changes come at the expense of free speech. 
free speech is a product of the Enlightenment project. Now that both free speech and the Enlightenment's values in general are hanging on by a thread from both the left and the right, it's worthwhile to look at the implications of their impending demise. The transition from modernism to postmodernism hasn't been a mistake. What may be correct about the Enlightenment's successor of postmodernism is its pivots around axes of power and, crucially, an appreciation for perspectives from a multitude of demographics. This kaleidoscopic view of the world, rather than tunnel vision, is inclusive along some lines, if not chaotic. Much like viewing the facets of a diamond on a swivel, it depends on who's looking and through what prism, on what kind of sense-making and order we can assume about life. That being said, amongst other problems, it is chiefly the illiberalism of postmodernism and its identitarian whinging about victimization for not having been heard all along that is destructive and a turnoff for a full-throated adoption of the tenets of postmodernism. Maintaining an adherence to free speech necessitates putting on blinders to the realities of an increasingly narcissistic society to be mature enough to suspend this reality and pretend that we can countenance the other's side when it's truly getting existential with what the other side is advocating. Author-slash-journalist Douglas Murray emphasizes that survival is more important than ideology, so in effect, free speech, such as holding pro-Hamas views that are antithetical to Western values, must be chucked out the window as an antiquated relic from a kinder, more compassionate era. During the age of the Enlightenment and its aftermath of coasting on the fumes of yesterday's premium put on rationality, we were all on the same page, and now we are functionally a bifurcated half-Enlightenment, half-postmodern society. As such, the vestiges of the Enlightenment, such as adherence to free speech, are breaking down and disintegrating. Now we have a pushing of wills, realpolitik. Israel may be a bellwether on the brink, a symbol of the deteriorating liberal world order. In no uncertain terms about the crossroads at which we find ourselves, Sam Wagner wrote an op-ed December 7th for Brussels Morning. And now I will quote, It is time to give up on the failing liberal democracy project and its attendant ideologies. Human rights, the sanctity of life, the rule of law, civic engagement, the international community, and other such infantile inanities. Liberal democracy is fading everywhere because exactly like communism, it is founded on a counterfactual view of human psychology and a fallacious reframing of human history. Ideologies are inflexible and self-defeating straitjackets. Adherence to such fantasies ineluctably and inexorably lead to conflict and mayhem. As the USA's founding fathers knew, universal franchise democracy is a dangerously flawed idea. It empowers the nescient and the dumb, gives rise to demagogues, and elevates ruthless, populist, antisocial leaders. Similarly, the human and civil rights agenda are totalitarian victimhood doctrines that abrogate the inalienable and primordial right for self-defense and the meritocratic allocation of resources, among many other consequent distortions. We need to get rid of all this delusional enlightenment baggage and revert to realpolitik, the consummate use of power, hard and soft, 
to create and maintain peace and to regulate conflict. Contrary to deliberate misrepresentations by bleeding-heart acolytes of the liberal democracy religion, realpolitik does not equate might with right, nor does it do away with civil discourse amongst interest holders. It merely recognizes reality, adapts to it transiently, on the fly, without preconceptions, and aspires to optimize outcomes in a game-theoretical manner. Where is the place of existing structures in a realpolitik world? Human institutions are founded on the preservation of the utilization of power, its dissemination, its management, and its maintenance. Realpolitik is about honestly admitting to this fact, not about instigating a revolution. What about the rule of law? It is a natural derivative of realpolitik because the state possesses a monopoly on the legitimate use of violence. But will not realpolitik sacrifice niceties such as human and civil rights? Not necessarily, and not always, but it will dispense summarily with the self-imputed right to intervene in the internal affairs of sovereigns. Let domestic power matrices within polities determine the local admixtures of the rights and obligations of the populace and the shape and functioning of their institutions. By far, the greatest impact of realpolitik will be the pacification of international affairs. In a realpolitik world, powers, global and regional, would recognize each other's spheres of influence and rarely trespass for as long as overt, unambiguously signaled, might be the regulating and organizing principle of international affairs. Time to resurrect Henry Kissinger and the long line of wise statesmen who preceded him throughout history and who served as his intellectual inspiration. End of quote. Running parallel to a realpolitik pragmatic philosophical makeover, which is divorced from problematic notions of hoping for unifying morality or ideology as makeshift charters, is the advent of not just AI, but quantum computing, which may help us navigate tight quarters to truth. If technology advanced the end of the Enlightenment by revealing further social complexities, it is incumbent on it to chart our new path. Current digital computer models simulate a mouse solving a maze out to the other side painstakingly and laboriously with trial and error in one-by-one scenarios. Quantum computing can solve the maze in a blink of an eye, simulating every trajectory virtually simultaneously to get to the correct escape from the maze. Accordingly, an emphasis put on the Enlightenment value of truth would still be critical for the very function of said technological progress. Just as our current computer models are relatively primitive, human comprehension of the scale and magnitude of human and artificial perspectives is disorienting and discombobulating, as our collective ability to synthesize and make sense of information from multifaceted perspectives is currently limited. On December 8th, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved the first CRISPR treatment for sickle cell disease. Perhaps with advances such as CRISPR and gene editing, we will be able to comprehend the incomprehensible and other vantage points for more empathy going forward if being empathetic continues to be upheld as a desirable value. If empathy is considered a drag and a drain on life force energy, we will double down on transactional interfaces with one another on an ad hoc basis instead preferring fantastic spaces in the potentially more controllable and less demanding and draining cyber world. Think video games meets the metaverse. 
The more alienated we are from one another and ourselves, the more empathy doesn't matter and a robotic lifestyle fits. The technological age lends itself to the solipsism of narcissism. By some measures, resistance is futile. And now I will quote Michio Kaku, author of Quantum Supremacy, How the Quantum Computer Revolution Will Change Everything, and renowned theoretical physicist on tracking the computer revolution from analog to digital to the quantum era. Open quote. The power of quantum computers compute on parallel universes. That's why they are so powerful. Close quote. Quantum computers hold immense promise because of their ability to tap into parallel universes, which boosts their computational power exponentially. Quantum computing could revolutionize agriculture, parenthetical, creating efficient fertilizers, energy, parenthetical, achieving fusion energy, and medicine, parenthetical, modeling diseases at the molecular level. Last week, 60 Minutes reported, quote, the race between major tech companies and intelligence agencies to actualize this power is intense, as they could redefine industries and even global power structures if they succeed. Close quote. Notwithstanding cybersecurity concerns, quantum computing may be illuminating a path forward on how our modern, parenthetical enlightenment-based, and postmodern mashups slash paradigms aren't serving us any longer. Religion has failed us. The age of reason has failed us. Neither morality nor ideology are stable enough for a civilization to be perennial. The information age and the democratization of the internet have transmogrified the social and cultural milieu. We are breaking at the seams of increasingly antiquated notions of reality. Our new societal reality involves an artificial component that is also real. Whether it's narcissistic abuse, parenthetical shared fantasy, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and beyond. We are conditioning ourselves to be more comfortable with hybrid reality and fantastic spaces. There's no putting the genie back in the bottle. These computers will do computations that are inconceivable to us now, and in hindsight will make the Enlightenment look 1950s quaint. The age of narcissism as a liminal stage is helping us acclimate to pseudo-realities, or artificial realities, Enlightenment-based binary digital choices of ones and zeros are increasingly outdated. The world is more accurately reflected in quantum's qubits. Instead of a circular object being viewed in a flat plane as a zero or one, up or down, qubits see objects more like a globe that spins all around in different directions. Qubits move our understanding of the dimensionality of problems to a heightened awareness. In the meantime, Darkness always precedes the light. Short of technology eminently intervening in a race against time, we are headed to a dark age where it's a battle of the wills of narcissistic collectives and next stop psychopathic collectives. For the time being, if we transition to a real politic, i.e. a pragmatic world that does not prioritize morality or ideology as a be-all or end-all, we would still be in the realm of rationality. The idea of impending autocracy may provide an island of stability around which the culture wars and actual flesh-and-blood wars swirl. Autocracy holds appeal and suits a narcissistic populace of regressed masses embedded in a shared fantasy slash psychosis. America is on the long march to autocracy, 
with Trump as the narcissistic demigod for his childishly regressed flock. 91 counts against him, two impeachments, an insurrection, and still he is the front-runner for the Republican Party to be the leader of the, quote, free world. There is no political will to pursue the ends of the Enlightenment's justice. He has us in his cult leader's clutches of narcissistic abuse. In this muddled, modern-slash-postmodern, post-truth world, and now I will quote, author and former professor Jed Rubenfeld, diversity is conformity. Equity is inequity. Inclusion is exclusion. Anti-racism is racism. Anti-fascism is fascism. End of quote. The liberal world order as a manifestation of the Enlightenment looks to be drawing to a close as predicated on our collective vulnerabilities to narcissism and its accompaniment, techno-artifice, as outlined below in the six profiles of the types of people who gravitate to narcissists. These profiles are expanded upon here. Title. Six Profiles of People Who Gravitate to Narcissists. 1. Masochists. People who regard pain as desirable. 2. People with self-love deficiency, or lack of self-love, who experience vicarious self-love through the narcissist's gaze. 3. People who have had conflicted relationships with their especially mother, but not only mother or father, parental figure, who try to reenact the parental environment with the narcissist. Narcissists are great at being daddies because they project authority, confidence, and trust, and so they're very misleading. Narcissism is false advertising. 4. People who prefer fantasy to reality and gravitate to the narcissist's offering of fantasy. 5. Someone who is himself or herself narcissistic, grandiose, and garners narcissistic supply vicariously by proxy through the narcissist. 6. Codependents would be attracted to narcissists because narcissists are easily controlled from the bottom. Codependency is a control disorder. It's about controlling. It's about securing your needs, emotional and otherwise, by feigning or faking helplessness and neediness on a permanent basis. It's a form of emotional blackmail. Narcissists are easily emotionally blackmailed or manipulated. Narcissists are gullible as long as you offer them narcissistic supply. Narcissists are junkies. Sam Wagnin goes on to say, These six profiles cover 80% of it, but let it be clear, many healthy, balanced people are attracted to narcissists. It's not true that healthy, balanced people who are boundaried, strong, and resilient would never be attracted to narcissists. That's rank nonsense. It may just be that we retreat into the narcissistic womb, protected by the advances of quantum computing from the worst of what humanity has to offer. We've already been steadily outsourcing our humanity through technological and antisocial change. Our narcissistic defenses have flared in the face of a technological revolution that threatens our collective sense of omnipotence and omniscience as superior primates. In many respects, narcissists, lacking the warm-blooded empathy that characterizes humans, are prototypes of artificial intelligence. We are well on our way to the future. Thank you for listening to a reading from Concerning Narcissism by Ginger Coy. Be sure to check out the accompanying written piece on gingercoy.substack.com to see additional images, resources, and links. Also, please share this piece in your networks. 
I'll see you next time on Concerning Narcissism, where I am both concerned with narcissism and find narcissism concerning.